because it, you know, there were some parts of Vegas even then that was kind of shady, and right. you know, a way to protect your children, but still have fun. Absolutely, because I know a lot we of people that um... enough, we weren't even old enough to step into the casino. <laughs> oh yeah. If you even put a foot across that line, they're gonna have security coming over there. Like, excuse me, you can't, you can't do that. So, yeah, I remember, I remember being a oh, kid and walking through the casinos. Yeah. The angriest I got was there was one casino we were staying at. It's been imploded now, but um, at the time it was a hot casino, and mm-hmm. um, it was about thirteen or fourteen. And you had to cross the casino to go from the rooms to the restaurant. And mm-hmm. I had gone back to my room to get something, and I was crossing the casino to get to the restaurant. And one of the people said, oh, you can't come in here. And I said, well, how do I get to the restaurant? Do I have to go out in 110-degree heat? And I was 10 or 11 talking to an adult and a, and a, a security person. And I said, do I have to go outside 110 degree heat and walk all the way around the entire building to go to the restaurant? He goes, all right, you made your point. Just don't go near any machines. I go, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. They'll lose everything if the word got out that a kid was at the machine, right? (laughs) The gaming commissioner come down and have a fit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, they shouldn't, if they were going to do that, they shouldn't do the architecture that way, that they had to go through the casino in order to get to a restaurant or a shop or something. That is true. It's almost like you can't avoid it. Like, it's, like, right there. You can, if you're a kid walking through, you can literally reach out and touch any machine at any time. So it's crazy. I mean, they have machines in the airport, right in the center of the airport. There's no guards there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As soon as you get off the plane, it's like ding, 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 and they call your name. <laughs> and I think, if I remember right, there were some machines in the bathrooms in some of the casinos. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if I was yeah. standing in the bathroom, but that's, that's, that's the problem now. That's too much. <laughs> I think it was it was one of the newer casinos when when all the big ones started to grow, you know, you know they started imploding mm-hmm. places and building the big ones. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Which one it was? I I think it was New York, New York or something. I think that was the one that had the casino in the back, the casino, the machine in the back, the one-armed bandit in the bathroom, except they're not one-armed anymore. <laughs> now you just oh, that's the what button. they call the uh, ones with the the slot, like the little thing you pull down, the lever. Uh-huh. They call them one-armed bandits. Okay. Well, they were actually, you just call them, you know, uh, the machines. But... That's what most people call them because you always lost your money in the darn things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I like that. That's clever. <laughs> yeah, these days it's all digital, so you know they don't even like they'll still take cash, but it's all tickets and buttons, and I think some of the charm has been lost, but that's just how they do it now. I kind of like to watch old shows and see the way there was this um, series that was called Vegas with Robert mm-hmm. Urich and when they, oh, when they mm-hmm. showed the casinos in that, it's just, oh, that's the casinos I remember. They had the Flamingo and the Old Caesars and <laughs> I mean, all the soldiers yeah. are still there. They're still there, but they're just not, they don't look like that anymore because all the machines are different and everything. <laughs> Right. Was that the one with um Josh Dumal and they were like the security at the I think like the Muncie Cello or whatever they called it? Um was that, that, that show? was a remake. That was a remake. Okay. This was okay. This was back in the um I think it was the eighties. Um, oh, okay. The the owners I don't know if you'll know who he was, but the owner of the the, the casino was a movie star named Tony Curtis. Well, that's okay, no, I've, I've never heard of him. Okay. Tony Curtis oh. was. Did you, did you ever hear of Jamie Lee Curtis? He just won an yes. Oscar. That's yes. her dad. <laughs> oh wow. Her dad, okay. Tony Curtis, and her mom is Janet Leigh, both movie stars. From Psycho, I knew her mom was Janet Leigh. So okay, so oh yeah, she was destined to be 
uh, a starlet then. Yeah, but the funny thing is she was really didn't want her parents to have any part of her success. Uh, When Mm. she got her first break, it was really funny because it was it was a TV series that was based on a movie her dad was in called Operation Petticoat. And she was mm-hmm. in the TV series. She auditioned like everybody else, and she got the part. The got she uh, she um, she put in Jamie Lee Curtis, but Curtis is a common name. And mm-hmm. she she kind of looks like both her parents. She doesn't look exactly like either of them. The guy who was mm-hmm. the producer actually was an old friend of both her parents. They had no idea she was their daughter. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, I don't see that. Okay, so that's kind of cool. It's a story her mom, like, uh, liked to tell. Her, we didn't know she was even auditioning for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a fine story. That's cool. Isn't that cool? But, yeah, that was... It that is, was, it is. Yeah. Jamie's a rebel. She's still like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, um, yeah, she's had an amazing career. Uh, I think, um, yeah, because she just won the Oscar for what, everything, everywhere, all at once? Uh-huh. And I didn't get a and chance to see that movie. And she was unrecognizable in that movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I would, I, until the credits, I had no idea it was her. <sighs> oh, yeah. So that's just a testament to, like, your character being so good. People just get lost in the character, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. Well, she's always amazing. She's an amazing actress. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but I, I, yeah, but yeah, Tony Curtis was a movie star, and Janet Lee was a movie star. And they met, they married, they had two kids, they got divorced. Pretty much mm-hmm. normal for Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> typical Hollywood story, right? Yeah. 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 If you look up Tony Curtis, he made a lot of movies. He was he wasn't the perfect father. Let me put it that way. But he was a really good actor. <laughs> yeah. And, anyway, you know, my, so, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I know back then, like, because I'm kind of fascinated with old Hollywood because it had that charm. And I know back then they used to have, like, fixers, I think they called them, who would just basically mm-hmm. who were like your PR people to make sure no bad press touched you. So I could imagine the things that uh, some of those guys got away with back then. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was only during the studio system. They didn't after the studio system broke up. That was that didn't happen anymore. But yeah, the studio system. Okay. The studios were really powerful. I mean, they had pretty yeah. much their own police force. Their own. Well, they still some of them still have their own fire department. Um, oh. You know, they ha- they're pretty much little cities unto themselves. And yep, they had fixers because you know <laughs> actors do tend to get a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Not all. There's some really decent human beings that are actors. I'm just saying that there are some that kind of let it go yeah. through their head. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where the fixers come in. But yeah, what was it weird been fun, was I mean. that, that, that they also kind of ruined scenes of crimes. I mean, if the person was there and somebody committed suicide, they take away all signs that it was suicide, so it would pretty. It would be. It was really illegal what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's crossing the line there. That's 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 something else. <laughs> that's because they, the studio wouldn't want to be associated with someone who's committed suicide, so we have to clean it up. Right. right. It makes you wonder how much is still going on these days. I mean, of course, this can't it can't be as bold as it once was, but I'm sure. To protect their interests, you know, these studios still got a few trips up their sleeves, but, you know, it is what it is. I know. Well, I mean, right now there's the writer's strike going on because of some yeah. of the stuff that they're doing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, when, are, when are people going to understand that without a script, there's no movies, there's no TV, there's no, none of that stuff can happen without the writer. Right. You're right. It's like... Because I guess, I don't know, like, because I'm not on the writer's side, but, you know, I've worked with my fair share of writers, and one thing that me and my team make sure we do is compensate people fairly, you know, at least not taking advantage of them. 
because we are indie, so, you know, of course the budgets are not as big as Hollywood, but, you know, we're not going to take advantage of anybody, especially the writer. And now with all this artificial intelligence coming out, I think the studios and the execs are thinking, like, well, if they don't want to play ball, then we'll go this route. But I think they're going to be in for a rude awakening because, like you said, writing is the most important part of the whole equation. So, like, come on, y'all. And also, artificial intelligence, they do not have the capacity to create. They just pick synopsis and stories that are fed to them, and they make a conglomeration Mm -hmm. of something, and there's no heart into it. So it makes no sense to do it, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just kind of on that note, uh, I just watched The Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but, oh, my, like, what an emotional roller coaster. And the whole time I couldn't help but just think, like, the writers did an amazing job. Um, James Dunn did an amazing job. But, like, yeah, that movie was a tearjerker. I was surprised. <laughs> I was. That's a good movie. When it yeah, touches yeah, you, yeah. you feel it. That's when you mm-hmm. know a movie's wonderful. I mean, or a TV mm-hmm. show or play or anything like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Totally. You laugh and cry, you, they got you. It did. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I try to keep that in mind when I'm doing my thing. Like, somebody told me that, I can't even remember who said it. They didn't tell me directly, of course, but it was just like a quote. And they said that um, a person shouldn't leave your movie the same way that they came into it as far as emotionally. And I always thought that was, like, profound. Like, so... If you kind of see my film, I got to take you up and down and kind of like just take you on this roller coaster ride with me. So I think that's cool. I, I like it. I like doing that. I know. And, 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 and you could, I mean, even a book can do that to you. Um, I, yeah. I was just talking to someone about a novel that Agatha Christie wrote that wasn't a mystery. It was a, it was a drama. And mm-hmm. And I said, uh, bring tissues because it'll tear your heart into little pieces. Um, <laughs> and it's like, wow. oh, Agatha, she couldn't write like that. I go, of course she could. You Do you think that you, you – have you ever gone and seen uh, – or read a book of Agatha Christie or seen a movie of Agatha Christie that didn't touch your heart, you know? <laughs> it, it always right. touches you, even though it's a murder mystery. It doesn't matter. It's a good book, good play, good movie. Um it's going to touch yeah. your heart. It's going to make you cry. Yeah. It's going to make you laugh. That's just a good writer. <laughs> that's a good writer. And I also, now that I'm older, I've learned how much your own personal life experience to that because, you know, when I was young, I used to not understand why people cried in movies. Or like my son, he's 15 now. He's probably not going to cry in too many movies, but it's like you don't have too much life experience at that age, so it's not too much you can connect with. But once you get 35 and you've been in love or, you know, been heartbroken or lost somebody close to you and have kids, it's like now all those things hit way harder, and it just makes it that much more fulfilling, you know, to watch a good movie. So, yeah, I'm, like, just loving loving it, loving the, the films that's been coming out lately. I've been trying to catch all of them. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's another thing. Um when you were a kid, though, didn't you watch something like Bambi and cry? Especially when the um, mother, when the mother died in Bambi, you still, you, you yes. it must have hurt you emotionally. <laughs> right, uh, Lion King, Lion King was uh-huh. the one. I think I was nine years old, and I remember like in class, in the school, in front of the whole class, everybody was just sobbing <laughs> when Mufasa died. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and it's a, it's an animated film for kids, you know, and it still rips <laughs> my heart out yeah. when I see it like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just um, I just always remember my dad. That was one of his favorite movies was Bambi, and him sitting there crying his eyes out, and it's just like I'm like, because he he doesn't let that you know he would cry sometimes during a movie or a TV show, but this this one he just looked. I go, is it because you remember it from when you were a little kid? Just partially. <laughs> yeah, that nostalgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I that's mean, kind it of is, what it is. It's counting on now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, it touches me when I see something like that. I just, but it can be yeah. any kind of show. It could be a TV show. It could be it could be a play. It could be, um, it could be a music video. There's some music videos that when I was a younger, when when music videos just started, like on MTV and VH1 back in the old days, there were some that were done so well. It was like a little mini movie. It really made you cry. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. You're right. I guess, um, yeah, you can get people emotional through a number of different mediums. So, uh, music video, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> though. It's, um, it was, I can't remember which artist it was, but it was like an entire, it was a whole sequence. And, it, you know, they were like five minutes or something. So it was like, it's really a tiny mini movie but it really made me touch my heart it really did whoever wrote that did a really good job because you know it wasn't just the music it was whoever wrote the scenario for the video too it was a combination of the music and the scenarios that got you you know and, right. and the ability of yeah. the performer to touch your heart too of course the acting of it right yeah, no, you're right. You're totally right. And uh, that's when I kind of recognize, like, how important everything is. And, I mean, you pretty much just said it. And you don't realize it, like, on the filmmaking end until you get in and you, like, realize. So even if the script is amazing but the actors can't perform it in a way that, you know, makes that connection, then it's not going to connect. And if the actors are amazing but the writing is, man, then it's not going to connect, then then the music has to match the the emotion and take you there too because, as we know, movies are totally different without the music and the sound. So, like, yeah, there's so many people that have to come together to get their roles right to make it a powerful movie. So, It's just like you know, went cool. to see a movie and it was it, and you're like, it had really great composer and great writer and, uh, and, and great actors and a really good production team, and it just didn't make it. You're just like, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but and you're just wondering what was it that it missed because it just, you know, True. it, it, it yeah. was bomb. You, you were yeah. the only one that felt that way. Um, right. They had a great team, and somehow it doesn't touch you. Someone somewhere, and sometimes you can't figure it out. Someone somewhere mm-hmm. failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could have been the producer, it could have been the director, it could have been the writer, it could have been the actors, it could have been the music, it could have been anything. Mm-hmm. But whatever it right. was, something could touch you. Yeah, you're right. And it's like you're right. It's like it's just something that's missing. Like you could say, well, it was, it looked okay, like it looked good technically, and like it was okay, but it's just like something was missing. I didn't have that feeling, so it just feels a little empty. And then there's small movies that just are super amazing. They had almost mm-hmm. no budget, and they they came out of you know the book was an old book, and uh, young actors or a few established actors, and the uh, screenwriter who adapted did a really good job. Uh, director did a real good job because if he moved his camera left or right a little further, you would see something you weren't supposed to see. And, you know, the cinematographer <laughs> did a really good job because he made it all look beautiful. I mean, and but yet they had no budget. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's amazing how... Anything, a blockbuster, movie that's supposed to be a blockbuster can be a bum, but a small movie can be Oscar winning and, and, and be a huge mm-hmm. sleeper hit that you don't expect. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. It is. Is it, something, and it's a, is it something you studied as somebody who wanted to get to working on movies? I have. I have, especially as a low budget, you know, when I started off. Um, I was pretty low budget, and so movies that do what you just said, like that's able to tell a strong story, like um, Buried. I don't know if you ever seen Buried with Ryan Reynolds. No, I never saw that one. I like Ryan Reynolds, but I haven't seen that one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, so in this one, like, the whole movie entirely from beginning to end took place in a coffin. He woke up, and this was during the um, war on terrorism when the film came out. So he was a contractor in the film. He was a contractor that got sent to the Middle East to do something, and he ended up getting kidnapped and held for ransom. But we don't see any of that because when the movie starts, he's already buried. And the only thing he has in the coffin is a phone and a lighter. And so all of the emotion is from him trying to get out. He's trying to call people. You only hear other people's voices. You never see their face. I thought it was so well done. So I definitely study movies like that to see how I can have a similar impact without having too many other factors going on, you know. I think that's fascinating. Uh, The movie I was thinking of, I don't know if you ever heard of it. It was called Enchanted April. It was. Um, I have It was Miranda Richardson and um, uh, Polly Walker, really good actors. Um, but what? It's an English movie. It was supposed to be an English TV show, um, mm-hmm. and that's the budget. They they had tiny TV budget, and even for a TV show, they said they didn't have much of a budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a, a PBS budget, you know. It was like you not a lot of money, but it was such a beautiful movie. It's still one of it's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies. The only reason I'm thinking of it is because I read it for April. I had never read mm-hmm. the book in April, so I decided this year I was going to read Enchanted April in April. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. And then I watched the movie after I finished reading the book, and I just it was sort of like. My my little self congratulations for reading it in April. <laughs> and I watched the movie That's in April awesome. too. So I was oh, right there. Very cool. <laughs> like a whole little theme going on for the month of April. That's nice. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it is about the magic of uh, the beauty of the gardens of a, a house in Italy, and that's the and how. These sad, four sad women that come there find happiness within the beautiful gardens. Um, it's it's, just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I don't know if you've ever seen it or, or read the book, but it's just, it's, it, um, I mean, there are men in it too. <laughs> Is that <laughs> okay? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't heard of it, but it, it definitely sounds interesting. But it's it, it's just it's just a book about um, how you can find you can reinvent yourself just by having a little peaceful time to yourself where you can think and you can and and friendships form mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's it's, a, it's just it's, it does. I don't know if I'm describing it very well, but it's a really powerful mm-hmm. story. And romantic. <laughs> oh, that's always good. That's always a plus. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's just, and, and uh, beautiful. And um, I was listening. I'm a nerd when it comes to DVDs. I always listen to special features. And mm-hmm. they had the director and the producer commentating on the on the book, on the book, on the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's how I found out about there are absolutely no budget and and how if he moved the camera to the right you'd see the bus modern bus stop and if you moved it to the left you would see the um, garbage things. Um, oh wow! He and, his, he and his photographer were really restricted on what they could do. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because they say that the restrictions give you the best creativity, which I think has a lot of truth to it, right? Because if you have unlimited money and unlimited time, you really don't have to be creative per se because, you you know, you just have so many resources. But when it's like, okay, we can't do this, so we don't have the space to do that, it's like it really makes you think like how you can achieve your goal in the least, you know, problematic way possible. and. That's when you get a lot of great stuff, I think. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I was interviewing a screenwriter, and one of the things he was saying was that one of the things you have to get used to when you're a screenwriter that you don't have to worry about when you're a novelist because you just became a novelist is that mm-hmm. things can be taken out of your script, not because it's not good, but because they couldn't afford it for whatever reason, too many people or the mm-hmm. location 
because we can't afford a location like that and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I found absolutely. that one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something no, I don't um, have to, when I write my novel, I don't have to worry about that because nobody's going to, there's nothing to scratch because it has nothing to do with anybody but me. <laughs> Yeah, I was just explaining that difference to somebody the other day. They were asking, like, you know, pretty much how come novels have to be adapted to the screen or, you know, a stage play has to be adapted to a screenplay instead of just taking it straight like that. And that's pretty much the reason why. Yeah, it's like it's a different format entirely, a different medium. So you got to account for certain things. That was a good point. He had a good point there. (laughs) (laughs) I got it from him. But I also, because I, 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 I write plays and I write books, so I kind of understand. I try to write screenplays, but it's such an art, and it's a different art, and it's a different type of writing than a play. And I just don't think I can do it. Um. Yeah, I hear that. Fine, fine. <laughs> but yeah. I, can, I, can, I mean, but like when I write a play or an audio um, a radio play, you're restricted because you have to mm-hmm. convey, especially when you're writing a radio play, you have to convey stuff that you can't see. It has to the actor mm-hmm. or the narrator or somebody has somehow has to convey it to the audience so they can visualize what's going on since they're using their imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really different medium than TV or movies or theater. So there's another one for you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I like that too. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, I um, you know, I do. Different. I was just gonna say, Go I do short films. Um, I do short films as well as features. I haven't written a feature film yet because it's just such a committed process. But I write all of my own short films, and although I don't necessarily call myself a screenwriter because I probably wouldn't want to write a screenplay for anybody else, to be honest. It's just kind of, you know, I know what's in my head, so I kind of, you know, write my own. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those things with me, it takes me forever to get started. Like, it takes me forever to sit down and start. But once I do and I get into the that flow state, like, the words just come flying out as I build a world in my head. And so it is a rewarding, it's rewarding. It's a rewarding process. I don't know if I could do it for a living, though, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to write and create. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. And it's something, yeah. I think it's something you either have or you don't have to be a creative mm-hmm. person. I think everybody's creative in their own way, though. I think that, you know, there's other ways of being creative. You don't have to be creative by the arts. You could be a cook or a gardener or somebody mm-hmm. who decorates. There's a lot of different ways to be creative, you know? Yeah. That's true. That's true. But, but, but because you can be creative doing this, you should be sympathetic with people who are doing other kind of creative arts. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is true. Like, everybody on the set is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh an expert at what they do, so you're so needed. Like, everybody from the PAs, from the caterers to the set designers, like, everybody is so needed for what they do. Can you imagine a set without the caterer? People would die. Everybody would be grumpy. We wouldn't make it past Mm -hmm. lunchtime. (laughs) Yes. Or I've heard heard tales, like, about, like, uh, uh, they were in a remote area, and something went wrong with the catering, and they were eating the local food, which was making everybody sick. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> because yeah. they were like in the middle of nowhere in a different country, and their their stomach just wasn't accustomed to that area. Mm. And so, I mean, yeah, you can get really grumpy when you're <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like that would be a nightmare. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I'm like you said. A set is like a little city. Everybody's important. Everybody um, contributes. Yeah. And if if you take one of the pieces away, that just one little piece, it could be catastrophe. (laughs) 
like a Jenga tower, right? It just falls down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, be careful, so, though. <laughs> yeah. When we first started, we didn't really um, understand fully how important the assistant director was. And so, you know, we're thinking, like, oh, that's okay. We, we kind of skipped on that. And I quickly realized, like, just how important they are because they're going to make sure everybody's where they need to be. And when you don't have that, you have actors and crew members that just kind of drift off in between shots and scenes. And one of them's over here and one of them's over there on the phone. And then you got to kind of go around and corral everybody. And, you know, your AD got to be kind of tough and like, I know, you know, you got to be, you got to be kind of strict. So I, by having a good AD, I'm able to be, you know, I don't have to be the mean guy. I can still be the nice director guy, you know, still stern but I can let my AD be the pit bull, as I call it, and make sure everybody's doing what they need to do. So, yeah, <laughs> I love my AD. And also, like, a script person, the continu- continuity yes. person, that's so important, mm-hmm. too. It, it seems like a small thing, but it's not. I mean, there are huge ingredients. Right. You know, if, if the continuity's off, somebody in one scene that you shoot can have um, pink nail polish on and then the next uh, scene which is right after it it's like they step through a room and suddenly they have no nail polish on their fingers because there's no script girl to check it oh man yes and as a director you you might think like yeah I'll catch it but you will not I'm telling you you will not because it's just so many other things to focus on the acting, the lighting, and this and that, and that little bitty detail will slip right through, and then you're like, ah, when you get to editing. And so, yeah, you got to have the, the script person. That's important, super important. I thought, I, the first time I ever noticed that, I was about, I was a teenager, and there was a show mm-hmm. on called Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. and the girl that played Chris Cheryl Ladd, she had amnesia. And she was walking on the sand dune, and she walked up the sand dune, and she had, this is where I got it, she had the pink nail polish, and then when she walked down mm-hmm. the sand dune, she had no nail polish on her fingers. <laughs> That's why I got oh, that wow. example. And that was, yeah. it was on the show. The show was out. It was, it was, <laughs> it was like, you know, Aaron Spelling production, so it was like big production. Yeah. And they missed it. I don't know who the continuity person was on that episode, but they real that was I, I saw it right away. <laughs> yeah, they dropped the ball on that. It was one. supposed to be on the sand dune. It was hot, and she kept putting her hand in her hair, and she was trying to wipe the sweat from her face and stuff like that. So you're always seeing her hands. So if you can't miss it, <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you're right. But that's how I. That's what. I, that's what I was remembering when I was telling you that story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I noticed it now. Like now that I do this, I can't help but see every time it happens. It's um. Do you are you familiar with the channel on YouTube called Cinema Sin? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said, are you familiar with the YouTube channel called um, Cinema Sin? Yeah, I don't. I I I've seen it. As it okay. like. So basically, that's what they do. They go through movies and they, quote unquote, send them for every time, like there's a continuity error or some kind of like, you know, um, lapse in the movie logic. And so he'll just go. It's a comedy channel, so he just has fun. He, you could tell he loves movies. But yeah, they just go through popular movies and call out all the inconsistencies and the dumb character decisions and the continuity issues. And it's a really fun channel, and it's made me a lot more aware of my own projects because they'll rip you. They'll rip you. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's just cool. like uh, there was an old uh, TV sh- – um, well, it wasn't even a TV series. They used to have, like, a show. they show movies, and it was called Mystery Theater 2000 or 3000 or something like that. And that's all they did. Mm-hmm. They found what was wrong with the movie. And it, it could be like <laughs> oh. a real stinker of a movie, like um, The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, or it could be a really good movie. And they would still find everything wrong and make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so that's probably where Cinema Sins got the idea from, and they probably because I know they're a little older; they're probably in the mid forties to early fifties. So it's a good chance that they were probably inspired by that, and they just bought it to YouTube for the new generation. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably because it was very mm-hmm. it was very popular. Um, it was like it's local television programming. So it may not have been around. I think that was just here in California. So it may not be. Okay. It, I don't. I don't know if it was syndicated. It could have been on syndicated television before. This was before cable. Uh, <laughs> the only way you could get okay. on national television if you were a local show is if you were syndicated. Right. Yeah. You know, but um, but you know it's really funny because if you think about cable, the early days of cable, it was really. They they had to fill all that time, and they put really bad movies and TV shows on. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like a finite period. Uh, you you had 24 hours, and they didn't have enough content. Yeah. So they would throw yeah. anything on. Sometimes it would be like the old <laughs> days of television, and they'd have the same movie on like at five times or something during the week. Because they, they just didn't have enough content for 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember a couple of channels like that um, back in my day. Uh, I know BET kind of got like that for after a while. Like It was just the same movies every every night, every couple of nights. They were running out of stuff to play. Uh, now everybody needs content. So many different routes to go because everybody has their own streaming service and apps and stuff, so it's the time. Yeah, and also, this is like, this is the time they need writers. I don't understand what's going on. They have all these streaming services and all these big cable channels that are just, they need to be fed. And and so they should have, like, I should have a a job wanted, writer, creative, needed, please. (laughs) Screenwriter, Mm -hmm. please. What's wrong with them? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that that uh, you know, they come to some kind of resolution because we don't need this to last too long. It'll be how it was no. back in what 2007, 2008, when all the reality shows started taking over because there were no writers. Oh. So yeah, I remember. <laughs> right, so. Um, yeah, it was 2007. You know why? When my that was the year my dad died and I needed distraction, so I actually got kind of sucked into the Real Housewives thing, just yeah. to have something yeah. on, when just to take my mind off what was going on. And yeah, yeah the thing is about those shows, they they suck you in, man. They suck you they in. Do. You <laughs> work yourself away from it. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And I don't know, you know, they're not all bad. I mean, you know, I definitely like the first couple of seasons of Love and Hip Hop and some of the other ones, uh, I think like The Love of Ray J, that was, I think I was watching that one, but um, they're not bad at all. Like some of them are cool, but some of them go a little crazy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, well, I like, yeah, but, I like know, shows cool. that, like Project Runway, that were a creative show. And, and still on. Yeah. Uh, I I did I and I and once in a while I still watch that because I it's just it's yeah. interesting although they've gotten a bit how do I put this a bit meaner on those shows than they were when <laughs> I was watching them because um, yeah. I didn't like like I wasn't a fan of the uh, you're thrown off the island type shows I I I, I in Project Runway. You, the reason that you're eliminated is because a panel looked at all the clothes that you had and they just didn't make the cut. And it wasn't done because mm-hmm. they didn't like you, like some of the other right. shows. <laughs> you know, that that's a, it's a nicer yeah. way to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I think with the Simon Cowells and just all of, like the chef, uh, I think it's around Gordon Ramsay and all of these kind of mean professionals, like it started making everybody kind of lean towards that because I guess that's why people tune in to see them be mean to everybody. So it just had a ripple effect. Yeah, I know. I just yeah. stopped watching. I just, I hated it. I 
Because I needed it. I can I could put the news on if I want to see people being mean to each other. Right. No, totally. As I, yeah. As I want to have a relaxing time, or, or at least if I'm going to watch people like that, it would be like actors acting a part, not really being that, you know, yes. uh, in a drama. Uh, that's why I can do that. But it's when the people mm-hmm. are actually like that, doing that, and yeah. in reality, that I can't deal with it. <laughs> no, nah, I'm with you. Totally. Why am I wasting my time? <laughs> right, exactly. That's how you feel. And it's like now with TikTok and Instagram and just, it's like pretty much everybody's making their own reality show. Like just your average everyday person, you know, they can get that kind of same feeling and vibe and people can tune in and be nosy, which is really what it's all about. People just like to be nosy and see what's up in other people's lives. And so if you give them that, you can pretty much have your own reality show these days, right on your own TikTok. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I actually, I watch um, on YouTube, there's a a group of people under what's called BookTube, and they talk about books. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool is, for a long time, except for the Harry Potter period, I thought mm-hmm. young people just didn't want to read. And, but when I started watching BookTube, that's to see, they're all, not all, but a lot of them, I'd say majority of the people on BookTube are young. They're like, mm-hmm. like teenagers, they're college students. And I may not like the books they're reading, but I love that they're reading. Yeah. Yeah, that's the start. That's definitely it's a start. Cool. And, and they, what you reminded me of, they get, a, because there's something called Book Talk from TikTok. They get mm-hmm. a lot of their recreations from book talk. Mm, okay. And that if you go into cool. like, if you go to some place like Barnes and Na- Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble is actually <laughs> a book talk table. Now you say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tom Twister. <laughs> but there's actually a book yeah. talk table from TikTok at the store, popular on BookTok. Oh, that's cool. That's neat. Yeah, I think uh, this, these these younger kids are getting more into reading um, than like maybe in the last 10 years, if that makes sense, um, especially with audio books and podcasts being such a thing. Like, I know a lot of people, a lot of younger people who are just throw on the audio book while they're on the bus or while they're doing something, and they really like getting these books in. I think that's cool. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I'm happy. I don't care how you're reading. Just read. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It just opens up your mind to so much stuff. Totally. It's creative. It's good. It's something, it expands yes. your mind. And it's fun. I, that's one of the things. It is. Um, because of the way books are assigned at schools, it makes it feel like a chore. Mm-hmm. And I and there were some books I loved when I was in school, and there were some books I hated when I was in mm-hmm. school, and I still can't bring myself to read those books from school. I've tried. Um, yeah. But, but the thing is, is, I was lucky. I had parents who read books and loved reading and, and and basically encouraged us to read. My grandma was a big reader, so I had all this encouragement to read and all these books to choose from. And nobody said, oh, mm-hmm. you can't read that. Or if it's something that was a little right. beyond my ability, my, um, my parents said, yeah, you can read it, but I want to discuss it with you to make sure you understand what you're reading. You know, mm-hmm. never uh never stymied my my love of books. That's what's mm-hmm. happening. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Um yeah, I think the way the school does it with the you know, you gotta read this and then do a book report and then it's a part of your grade. Yeah, it makes it seem like a chore instead of fun. 
you know, and they tried to give out the little incentives back when I was a kid, like, you know, read five books, get a free Pizza Hut pizza. But they should just let kids read books they're interested in and maybe not have so much work behind it. Like, just read for the sake of reading instead of trying to write a book report from it. Because then you're going to approach it different, you know? So. Yeah. And there's such a joy yeah, in reading. You, you can be an astronaut or you can be on another mm-hmm. planet or you can go back in time. Mm-hmm in the 1920s or it was so much fun mm-hmm. and people who yeah. do it don't get it they don't see it because they got stuck by that by that thing restricting them yeah it's like if, they did that to movies, if they did that to movies can you imagine how people would feel uh, there would be a lot of people who wouldn't like movies because they would, you have to watch this movie and you have to be sure, you have to do a full critique because you love that. Now you're right. It'll be like, <laughs> the movie industry would be over, at least with the, amongst the younger people. They'll be like, no, I'm good. That feels like work. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It's the way they. It's the way you present it, and the way you. Uh, you should be inspiring people. You should be inspiring students, not making them feel lesser. You know, that's the way I feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because somebody interpreted a book wrong according to your like rubric. Like, oh, they got what they got from it. You know, so. Yeah. And yeah. also vocabulary. I know a big part of me. Having such a vocabulary, I, I, I was a, a reader always when I was young, and you just learn so many words and phrases and ways to use, put words together. Right, it's, it's amazing. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Just think how much you, you would have to play catch-up now if you weren't a reader before you started doing your movies. hmm I mean, think yeah, about right. how much work it would have been. See, you're way ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, totally. Um, no, no doubt. I'm going to do a very abrupt transition. I want to hear about your new That's movie. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, absolutely. So the new film, I just released a film um, that I directed called France Like Sisters. And it's a drama, thriller-type film. Uh, If I had to compare it to something, which, you know, we hate to do, but just to kind of give you an idea, it's maybe a little similar to Acrimony from Tyler Perry. And um, so I didn't write this film. I didn't produce this one. This was actually a buddy of mine. His name is Kenny O.D. He wrote it, and he um, produced it. So it was very dear and dear to him. He came to me to help him just pull it all together and bring it to life visually, and we did. So it basically centers around these two best friends. They've been best friends since they were little girls. They're as close as sisters. Uh, they're both married, and one of them makes a decision that changes everything. And then we start having to deal with issues of trust and betrayal and people turning on each other. And, yeah, it's just a, a fun ride like what we were talking about earlier. It's an emotional roller coaster. Is anybody I know in it? Um, probably not. So this film mostly has newer actors in it. Um, so I'm trying to think, but I don't think it's anybody that you would know. Okay. Well, last movie you made, I knew, so I did that. <laughs> I knew some of the oh, actors. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Yes, we did. We had a couple of um, other actors in the last one that were a little bit more well known. But um, yeah, this one, you know, they're more they're they're newer actors, but you will be seeing more of them soon because they all did a great job. Like they really came and brought it. So I'm proud of all of them. And when is it coming out? How can people see it? All that good stuff. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we actually had the premiere at the end of March. We did a premiere in Atlanta. It did great. It sold out. I know the film right now is on Amazon Prime. Um, you go to Amazon Prime and just type in Friends Like Sisters. You'll see it. Um, the trailer's on YouTube. And I think the film will actually be on Tubi as well coming soon. Right now it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Well, 
Okay. All right. And um, do you have anything coming up? So I just finished um, editing my short film called Blood Money. So friends like sisters, uh, my friend Kenny that I was talking about, you know, he's actually a pastor as well. He's from Nigeria. Um, so, you know, he came over here and he just hit the ground running. So there are a lot of kind of Christian elements throughout the film, uh, friends like sisters. So <laughs> to be honest, when I was done, when we were done with that, I kind of just wanted to do something more gritty and dark and dirty. And so I uh, um, wrote a short film called Blood Money, which basically just follows this young man taking a chance to get some money for him and his wife, and then it backfires, and he finds himself in a, a little trouble. And so we kind of follow him. So Blood Money, I'm expecting to put that out this weekend, actually. It'll be a short film. For right now, I just put it on YouTube so people can see it. I'm not going to try to do too much with it in the way of film festivals. But um, Blood Money will be coming out this weekend, and then I'll probably be doing another short film next month. I'm actually trying to shoot and edit one every month for the rest of the year. So I'll be releasing one for the next six months. That's the game plan. Wow, that's we'll ambitious. See. That's really ambitious <laughs> yes. to do all that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I already have three of the scripts written, so it's just a matter. And I'm keeping them pretty, you know, I'm not doing too much. But they're just really good stories with really good writing and good heart and good characters. So I think people are like them. That's cool. Um, <laughs> do you have a website? So, you know, I need to do that. I should have done that. I should have been made a website for my personal film. I have a website for my um, film production company, the one that we put out, Switch Their Love Under, with me and Daddy and Shaquita. Um, and that website is loudfilms.com. So that's L-O-U-D-F-I-L-M-S, loudfilmsinc.com, I-N-C. Um, and that's our produ uh, production website as a collective as far as my personal stuff, um, because Friends Like Sisters, that wasn't a loud films production, so you want to see that there. As far as my personal stuff, um, my Instagram would probably be the best way to see everything right now, and that's directed by Jamal. Okay. So directed by Instagram Jamal, and, and yes. directed by Jamal. And are yeah. you on any mm -hmm. other social media? Um, as far as the film side, no. I have a business where I do video marketing and stuff, just under my my normal name, Jamal McWhorter. You can find me on Facebook um, under my name, Jamal. But as far as just specifically film, you know, actually, Sherry, I'm going to build a website this weekend. I'm going to make a point to sit down because it only takes me about an hour. I do need to have a website for my film. So I'm going to do that this weekend, and I'm going to send it to you next week. That's my commitment. Okay. But, um, so as of now, though, Instagram directed by Jamal is the best bet. Okay. All right. I'm glad I inspired <laughs> you. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, I'm going to go and do that because there's no reason I don't have one. Yeah, I mean, you want to have your personal stuff up there, too. Um, yes. <laughs> if you're going to make a film yeah. a month, you need to have some place to display it. <laughs> yes, and I need a way to collect people um, that's interested, like collect email addresses so I can – just stay in touch because you're right. I want to be able to send a email out to my massive email list every month and say, "Hey, be sure to check out the new one." So yeah, I'm gonna start working on it this weekend. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, and do you have any kind of um, appearances you're gonna be at, like conventions or film festivals or anything like that? Right now, um, nothing is on the immediate agenda. Um, like I said, we did the premiere um, back in March, and we had press come out, and that was awesome. So um, the next thing will probably be after the summer, because I'm probably take, even I know I said I'm going to shoot six films in the next six months, which I will. I still have a couple of vacations planned for the um, summer, so I'll be going out of town with the family here and there doing little stuff. So it'll probably be August or September before I'm just back on the scene as far as, like, doing more press or events or anything. Um, I might throw a couple of my own meetups, like, just kind of networking, mixer-type events. That is something I like to do at least one over the summer, but I'm still putting that together as of now. That's 
That's great. I mean, and you should put our family kind of very important. It's called balancing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to come chat with me. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our last conversation and our last interview, meeting, conversation, whatever you want to call it. And I'm down to do it whenever, you know. It don't have to be so long. Like, I'm I'm ready. I love talking. I love chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.